Welcome to the Rethink Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Simon Randall, co-founder and CEO at Pimlock, and Guy Williams, Enterprise Sales Director at Pimlock. Hi, both. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Simon. Morning, Simon. Well very good. Thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, awesome. It's a Friday as we record. Uh, the sky is blue where I'm sat, and it's not raining. It feels like <laughs> Noah's building his ark somewhere around by me with the amount of rain we've had. But um, yeah, good. Good. So we're going to find out today uh, around Pimlock, all the great work that you're doing, how the company was founded, all that kind of other stuff in terms of how you're helping retailers, hospitality companies in, in your area. But before we do that, let's find out a bit about you too. So Simon, let's uh, let's start with you. Just give us a bit about your kind of career background, what you've done, how you got to be the CEO and co-founder at Pimlock. Yeah, so I I probably spent most of my uh, younger years at Nokia. So I was at Nokia for about 12 years in a range of different departments, marketing, um, go-to-market, online e-commerce product. Um, I left there and joined a very interesting um, technology business where we we were basically developing imaging devices, so cameras that could intelligently work out when to capture images and video. Um, and it was actually that that business that inspired us to set up Pimlock. And so what we discovered was two big things. Firstly, you know, the, the, as we all know, the world's not going to need more cameras. Actually, the challenge is going to be how do businesses and individuals deal with all the video that are coming off these things? How do they make sense of them? How do they protect the information that's in there? And how do they make it useful? Um, and then the second thing was, how, how do we do that in a way that's privacy preserving? And so as we started to roll these autonomous cameras out, we realized that it, they were starting to raise and pose lots of interesting questions about where it's okay to capture footage, how you should store it, who should own it, who should have access to it, what happens to it after it's been used. Um, and so that's an area that we've been looking at for you know a considerable amount of time now. And that's, as I say, that's what's inspired us to set up the Pimlock business so that we can help organizations on the public and the private sector side effectively manage personal data in video at scale while still getting the value out of it for safety, security, and also analytics. Brilliant. And we'll touch on that in a little bit more detail. And just for those younger listeners, Nokia, um, we've all, <laughs> us, us older um, listeners, all had a Nokia phone at some point. Yes, it was probably the size of a brick, hence it was known as the brick. You could only really make calls at a very expensive rate and send texts. And I think there was one game, was it Snake? Um, so, yeah, look, Google, Google it. Was it Nokia 3310? Is that the first one or the black one? I can't remember. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, the, Nokia- um, this, this was back in so, – so, you know, we we were working in mobile at the time we, you know, launched the first camera phone. So it used to be you couldn't take a picture on a phone. And then we added music and we added games and we added email work and a bunch of different services um and so it was a very different world yeah it was going to blow some people's minds that but um yeah just google nokia phones if you've never seen one and you'll be amazed and and guy let's find out a bit more about you so again give us a bit of a career bio um where you started how you've got to where you are sure simon so uh conscious of continuing the uh, history lesson around mobile but i um i've also spent quite the majority of my my career in mobile i started my career with um with orange the mobile network when actually it was about a year old when i when i joined and i spent the first 5 years in my 
career feeling like everybody else worked in an organization that was going through similar um growth curve shall we say so it was a fascinating time and and uh at that time actually uh mobile phones couldn't really do anything beyond call and text and uh one of the first i i started my career in marketing and, and uh one of the first things that um we brought to market was being able to get cinema listings on your mobile phone which was then through a a, a kind of you know grayscale text only uh, very small screen but it felt uh, very much uh, ahead of its time at uh, at that time but i um as you say spent the majority of my career in mobile i've worked on for a network operator um my um crossover with simon how i've met simon was um shared history at uh, at Nokia as well and I've also latterly worked in mobile phone retailing as well worked for for a number of years for um the uh, car phone warehouse group so telco is a big theme then that weaves between you and kind of brought you together in a past life and and brings you to this kind of present life so Simon you, you touched on kind of the thought process around how you founded Pimlock, but just maybe explain in really simple terms for people what the business does, how you do it, and then some of the outputs. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. So, so we effectively we help you know private and public business businesses manage personal data and video at scale, and what that means is for those companies who have a range of security cameras deployed in their physical environments, the first thing we do is. We, we automatically detect all of the personal data that's in that video. So the shoppers, your employees, general public's faces, number plates, and other identifying materials. And then we anonymize them in the video stream. And so what that means is we effectively blur out all of the personally identifiable data in the video. And that, what that allows those businesses to then do is, is use the information that's held within there um, in an anonymized and privacy-preserving fashion. And so if I'm a large retailer who's got large warehousing and logistics centers, I can then take video of my environments. I can count how many people are in a specific location at a specific time. I can track how shoppers move around my estate and how they interact with some of my furniture and merchandising. But I can do it without actually needing to capture all of the personal data of the individuals themselves. And so what we effectively provide is a platform that allows retailers to provide anonymized analytics so they can, you know, tune and improve operations and, I guess, productivity. And then the second thing we do is we provide a system where when an incident happens in store or in the warehouse, um, those security teams can pull the video, maybe pull an hour's worth of video. They can anonymize everybody in the footage who wasn't involved in the incident. And then they're very free to be able to supply that data to the individuals involved um, insurance companies and also law enforcement, um, and so we f- we effectively allow businesses to cover two core areas. One around the compliance of data privacy. So, as you'll know, in Europe we have GDPR, but there's also a host of other legislation that determines how businesses are able to capture, store, and use personal data. And then the second thing is we're seeing we've seen a wholesale shift in consumer and shopper and public attitudes to surveillance more generally and so people are now a lot more aware of where their data is being captured 
And they're a lot more worried about what's being done with it. And so businesses are coming to us and saying, well, actually, if we could use your platform to protect a lot of the personal data that's in this video, we can build much more trust and responsibility with our customers as well. Got it. Got it. And Guy, typical, I think Simon's touched on some, but typical stories from kind of retail and hospitality conversations that you're having at the moment. Is it, does it start with stock loss and, and security and protection of colleagues and move somewhere else? What, what are the typical trends you're seeing? So it, it, it does, Simon. Yeah. So what we're finding is, um, and, and in a good way, I think Simon's already sort of referenced it, the, the sort of touch points that we have within a retailer or indeed on the, the hospitality side as well is is becoming more and more varied. Um, but it does tend to start on that kind of either security or kind of loss prevention, profit protection side of things, which is the the kind of the day-to-day users of the CCTV or body-worn cameras, um, and they're wanting to use those in the most appropriate manner. And, and so that's kind of our main main kind of target of opportunity, I guess, you know, the sort of starting point for, for most of our conversations. Um, but that's also then moving more into then a kind of ecosystem conversation because obviously, you know, we're not the only um organization that is relevant to that conversation you know you'll you'll also obviously have perhaps the hardware manufacturer for the cctv itself um would be involved you're also likely to have a, a broader um video management solution provider involved um and and you know the, so there may be you know three or four organizations and obviously as we all know having worked in uh, retail you know directly or indirectly then making life as simple as possible for the retailer is 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 really you know where we should be looking to to go and so trying to kind of bring that ecosystem together such that there's kind of a, a singular solution for the um for the retailer makes sense um but to your question in terms of then where that conversation goes you know it it does start with that kind of security loss prevention but we are uh, again as Simon has alluded to um, broadening that out you know once you start looking at the analytics side of things then you really are then you know you could be talking to the operations director who's got a particular perspective the marketing director um, even then coming through into um, the finance teams as well Um, and so again trying to bring those conversations together in a manner that that makes sense and that you are um you know doing doing a kind of a, a good job of of articulating that that story such that um we can um you know we can move quite quickly with uh, with the particular retail groups and is this around utilizing existing cameras simon or do you have to have new special cameras put in how does how does that part work yeah so we've we basically will work with whatever cameras and video management systems everybody already has installed. And so what we've spent a lot of time on under the hood is just building a system that works really, really well for very, very diverse, very noisy um, CCTV footage, basically. Because, you know, as you will know, everybody, the challenge is that everybody puts a camera in a very different position, in a very different scene, at a very different angle, into very different environments. And to have systems that work well enough at scale, you need something that is, you know, very performant across a very, very large diversity of video. 
Um, and so effectively, whatever the cameras are that a business has, we can take that video in, we can protect all the personal data, and then we can provide analytics on the top of it. Um, as, as Guy mentioned, there's, you know, we, we're, we're probably seeing three core use cases, actually. One around compliance and data privacy, i.e. something bad has happened. I need to extract a few hours worth of video. I need to anonymize it because I have to supply it somewhere. The threshold for you know, accuracy of data protection is very high in that use case. And so we have a system that works very well. But then alongside that, we have some use cases around safety. So, you know, send me an alert when somebody goes into these environments. Tell me when the area is too crowded. Tell me if something, tell me if something bad happens. And then the third one is around analytics. So just general data on the aggregate movement, um, people counting and flow of individuals in retail and hospitality venues. Um, and so, you know, so we, we basically, we cover all three of those, but it tends to be, it tends to be the compliance conversation that we have first, actually, because there's a genuine legal need for that. And then once, once we start looking at those solutions, then people start to ask us about, well, could I also get live alerts to be able to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe? And then actually, once I have those, what other data could you provide on, you know, just the, the ongoing running and real-time nature of the business how many people are in store what are they doing how are they interacting um and all that as, as guy said feeds into the profit protection teams the security teams but increasingly we are now finding engagement with broader broader areas of the business as guy said from operations all the way through to finance so device agnostic yeah once you've got an entry point then clearly there's lots of other user cases where people start to um understand the power of the solution and the anonymity that you can deliver and it's it's probably remiss i know i know you've mentioned gdpr a number of times it's probably remiss not to have a specific conversation just on that point because it will weigh heavy on people's mind there's there's always lots of stuff in the press around certain retailers falling foul of gdpr and, and all that kind of stuff so just just to be clear within the solution guy there's a, a way that you can provide anonymity to all those people that are captured, which means that you can look at flow and all the other bits we've talked about, but without being able to identify an individual. Yeah, that's that's correct, Simon. So um, the way that we position things is that we would be then saying, let's say we're talking to a retailer, then for them to ensure that they've got comfort around GDPR, then they need to be in a position if they are... Um, storing that video that then would contain personal um, data or they're more importantly when they're when they're sharing it and who they are sharing it with then um, that video would then need to be anonymized our our tool allows the uh, the end user to then selectively anonymize um, that piece of video footage to your point so that then the individuals can't be identified um can't be identified within it um what we should say is that when something's then fully anonymized it's then it's then exempt from gdpr um so there's there's kind of the the elements of of complying with gdpr and then there's kind of separately being being exempt from it so when we're talking about the use cases when we're saying um that then we're allowing some analytics to take place so if a piece of video has been fully anonymized 
then it is deemed as being exempt from GDPR. So that can then, that video can be shared with your marketing agency. It can be shared with your operations director. You know, there's, there's, there's not a, um, uh, you know, there's no longer a sort of a, a requirement to have different kind of um, user controls on it. Um, whereas if it is not anonymized, obviously there, there, there is. Um, so yes, you, you're, you're right. That's what the tool does. But we're, we're sort of very keen to say that we, you know, we, ours is a tool that enables you um, to, to be GDPR compliant. Obviously the, uh, the way that you use the tool and the way that you deploy it is that's that's kind of you know the the end user's responsibility in order to be you know doing that in a compliant manner if that uh, if that makes sense yeah no absolutely i think it's just an important point point that we have the the direct discussion so that there's no kind of elephant in the room left as people listen to this and then and then wonder so that that's really cleared that up that's brilliant and the future for for pimlock and video data capture in general i don't know if many of the listeners watched capture on the bbc i'm sure you guys did um i thought it was an interesting maybe view or false view into the future where they'd synthesized i think it was a an mp it was supposed to be um being on chat shows talking about things and actually it wasn't him it was all made from artificial intelligence and and various bits of data capture that were pieced together now i'm not not suggesting that's the route that people want to follow, but where's your head in terms of the future for the business and the future for kind of the market in general? Yeah, so so you know we we've set our we've set our mission around owning the the privacy layer of video because we think if we can if we can basically provide a platform that by default will protect all the personal data in video, which then has access points to allow you know with the right governance and controls around it. Um, third-party analytics systems to get access or security teams where they need to. Um, we think that provides a really stable foundation for privacy and security. Actually, you know, as you rightly point out, the risks of the, the risks of people getting access to individuals' biometric data are going, you know, have grown considerably. It's now much easier to take a few frames of someone's face, use those to generate a you know, a deep fake image or even a deep, a short deep fake video, use that to get biometric access and control into a system or even use that to try and defraud somebody. Um, and so, you know, genuinely the risks, so, so the capture paints quite a um, utopian future view of where the, you know, where these technologies could go to. But actually the principle I think is right, which is, you know, we all need to be a lot more careful about who's got control of and how our personal biometric data is being managed. Um, and therefore, I think, you know, having systems that do a really good job of protecting that, there's definitely, an, you know, a strong role for regulation as well to make sure that there's enough regulation in, and you know, in most countries so that, you know, retailers and other businesses have to protect that data in a very responsible way. But actually, um, the, the other aspect of the capture is it just kind of highlights the growing, I think, the growing awareness in society actually of, the new risks that are coming with these types of data. Um, and that's a good thing because, you know, at the point shoppers and general public are, you know, starting to ask questions of the companies they're sharing data with, or they're starting to think twice before they step over the threshold into, you know, a private environment or a store. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's a good dialogue for shoppers, the public and large retailers to be having. 
where is the right balance of you know making sure that stores can operate so that theft is down very low making sure that stores are a safe environment for shoppers to come into um and also at the same time kind of getting to the right agreement of you know as a shopper how much data am i happy to give you so that you can actually provide a better experience for me and more efficient operations and i think we're we're just at the start of that journey um one of my local supermarkets has just put in um, cameras at checkout. And so you stand there scanning, um, you know, tins of beans and loaves of bread whilst there's a very large image of my face on the screen, um, which does two things, actually. Firstly, you know, it starts to get people to think about where that data is going. And then there's then a, an onus on all the retail staff, actually, to be able to explain what the data policy of the business is. And so when when you then go to the uh, the desk to ask, you know, where that video is being stored, who's got access to it, what it's being used for. That's a very different type of conversation for someone in the in the supermarket to be able to answer, actually. Um, and then the second thing to point out is, um, you know, that that's our vision. But, you know, it, it's very easy to look at the capture and get very scared about, you know, what's potentially happening. But then, you know, the reality of a lot of these technologies is, you know, whilst I'm stood at that checkout scanning my tins of beans, um, it's, it's invariably true that that system's probably broken three or four times. And I've had to call someone over because, you know, the scales next to the till aren't weighing the tin of beans properly. And so whilst the uh, the future direction is pretty clear, I think there's still quite a long way to go on some of those technologies. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll just kind of round off, Guy, if people are intrigued by this conversation, it, it kind of helps or they think it'll help solve some of the problems that they might be having Where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Um, well, I can either reach out directly. I'm at, I'm at guy at pimlock.com um, or going to our um, website equally, um, pimlock.com. And everything is there. They'll see the reference. So our, our organization is Pimlock. When we've kind of talked at a, at a product level, our, our product is called uh, Secure Redact. Um, but, uh, yeah, more than... Uh, more than welcome to reach out to me directly. And I'll put both your LinkedIn profiles on the show notes so, again, people can click through and, and connect through that medium. Last question for you both from me is one that everybody gets who comes on the podcast. So we'll start with you, Simon. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? I think I think the best bit so, – so, I, you know, we, we run a, a UK-British tech business and – Everybody wants to give you advice. And I think what's interesting is the best advice I've had was that there is no best advice. And you need, you know, for your specific business problem, you need to work out what the best way forward is. Yeah, well, that's a bit like when everybody tries to give you advice when you're having kids, doesn't it? You kind of got to work it out yourself to a degree. I mean, after you've had the third piece of contradictory advice, you realise that you need to be very careful about whose advice you take, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, And Guy, you've had a bit of time to think about this, so we're expecting a good one. I'm trying to one one piece that always um, stands out to me, and it might be from uh, from a sort of sales and, and commercial background. Is just um, having an eye on who else is what you know. What, what what's your what's your competition doing, and and what uh, what efforts are they making to um, to kind of get ahead in the market, and making sure that you've got. Uh, 
you've got an honest view of uh, of your uh, own efforts to compete with that. And uh, I've probably used about two sentences there. The person that articulated that advice to us as a as a sales team uh, in a previous organisation was perhaps a little bit more blunt, but um, just um, yeah, having an just. Having an eye on what uh, what your competition's doing and making sure that you're uh, you're always one step ahead. Brilliant, great guy Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat and find out more about what you're doing at Pimlock and the kind of the direction. And we'll stay in touch and catch up soon. Thanks both. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Simon.